Okay, that's a, a great passage, a great song to be singing in regard to the passage that we're looking at tonight. And I want to start out by telling you about an old friend of mine. I haven't caught up with her for a long time, actually, uh, but a lady called Andrea. And Andrea's motto in life was, like you see on the screen behind me, use it or lose it. Um, Andrea was a part of our congregation back in Mudgee when we were there through the late 90s. And as she moved, I guess, from that time of life where she was starting to worry about getting older, and she moved into her 70s, she was absolutely determined that she was not going to lose it. Um, she had worked as a nurse through her professional life, and she had seen it way too often with her patients, uh, people who got sick and who ended up in hospital because... Um, maybe they had just stopped doing stuff they had always been doing and their physical faculties and their mental faculties had started declining. So Andrea uh, got active. Uh, there's a photo of her ready to do a big harbour hike um, came down to Sydney to do that. She bought herself a bicycle and went riding. She went bushwalking. Uh, she wanted to look after her brain as well, so she, would, um, she bought puzzle books, did crosswords all the time, word games. She went to TAFE to learn new skills. She joined the Musical Society. Uh, she got involved in everything that was going because she was a real believer in that principle of use it or lose it. You've got to make use of what you've got or risk saying goodbye to it forever. Jesus says something very similar to us in Matthew chapter 25, uh, the passage that Sue read earlier. Jesus says, God has entrusted you with his resources. Now make sure that you use them for the growth of his kingdom or else risk having them taken away from you forever. That's kind of the, the key message in this parable of Jesus. God has entrusted you with his resources. Make sure you use them, put them to work for the growth of his kingdom or risk saying goodbye to them forever. Let's see how Jesus uh, says this as we open up the parable. If you've got a Bible there, uh, please open it up. Matthew chapter 25, page 983. Uh, we're going from verse 14. And the first thing to notice, verse 14, Jesus starts telling a story. We need to understand what, what this is all about. He says, again, there's a clue there. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and on goes the story. So, You've got to ask, what's he talking about? What is going to be like a man going on a journey? Like I said before, the again is a reminder to look back and think, well, again, meaning he's repeating something that he's already said. So you go back and you look in chapter 24 and chapter 25. What's Jesus been talking about there? Well, he's been talking about how we are to be ready and watchful for the coming of the Son of Man. If you just glance through 24 and the first part of 25, that's what it's all about. So in chapter 24, verse 42, uh, Jesus says, Therefore, as a result of all this story that I've just told you, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day the Lord will come. Be ready, he says. And then in the passage, uh, just before our passage begins, chapter 25, verse 13, same thing. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. What Jesus is saying is that like his disciples were, we too are people who are waiting. 
We are waiting for Jesus to return. And while we wait, we are to be watchful and ready. We, we need to be prepared for when he comes. Being watchful doesn't mean sitting out on the balcony with a pair of binoculars staring up into the night sky, hoping that we'll catch a glimpse of Jesus when he comes on the clouds. It's actually a lot more practical than that, and that's what this parable is about. Jesus tells this parable to give specific instructions to his people on what they are to do while they wait for him, so that they will be ready for his return. The story's pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, A man goes away leaving his servants in charge of his property. He's obviously a very rich man. He puts his resources into their hands for them to look after while he's gone. He gives to each one according to his ability. Jesus says, verse 15, one of them was given five talents. Now, like Sue mentioned before, it's not talking about a skill or that kind of thing. In fact, we, the word talent that we use to mean a, you know, a skill in something in English, we've actually taken it from this part of the Bible, from the, the word that was used back then to talk about a measure, a weight of, uh, of metal, of gold or silver. So in the ancient world, a talent was the, the heavyweights, around about 44 kilograms, I think. Uh, so when it says in your footnote in the Bible there, around about a a bit more than $1,000. It's actually a lot more than $1,000. You think about 44 kilograms of gold. (laughs) You're a pretty rich person if you've got 44 kilograms of gold. And this man gives five talents. So that is, according to the kind of calculations of the time, that's roughly 20 years' wages for a day labourer. The master gives five talents, this whopping big sum of money to one of the servants. One of the other servants gets two talents and another one is given one talent. So 20 years wages, eight years wages, um, four years wages. The five talent servant and the two talent servant both put the money to work while their master is away. They invest it, um, maybe set up a business with what had been left for them, and they produce more. In fact, they double the money. They take a risk with what they've got, and they double what they were given. And so when the master comes back, he notices this. He sees that they've doubled what he's given them, and uh, he rewards them appropriately. Um, He comes back and rewards those two adventurous servants, not with share options or uh, some of the money for themselves, but actually the The words that Jesus uses implies that it's something much bigger. And of course, that fits the context where he's talking about this is what the kingdom of God is going to be like. This is what you should be doing to watch and wait for the Son of Man to return. So have a look at what Jesus says. Uh, Verse 21 and verse 23 are the same. The same response given to each of the servants who've produced more. So verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And up to that point, it sounds as though it might be, okay, financial reward. But then he says this, come and share in your master's happiness. More literally, some other translations put it like this, enter into the joy of your master or enter into the joy of your Lord. To me, that sounds much bigger than just money, doesn't it? There's something more significant than economics going on here. 
This is, remember, to do with the kingdom of God. This is to do with eternity. Entering into God's rest and sharing in his joy, that's the kind of language of heaven. And you see this bigger picture gets reinforced in what happens to the one talent servant. So let's look at his story. He takes the talent, the treasure given to him, and he buries it in the ground. Now he's a canny servant. He knows that this is precious and he wants to make sure that he doesn't endanger it. He wants to guard it. He doesn't want to risk losing it. So he wraps it up, digs a hole, buries it so that it's protected, so that no one else can take it away, so that it will still be there when the master returns and he can dig it up and say, look, what you gave me I kept for you, I preserved it for you. The master's not very pleased, though. Verse 27, he says, well, mate, you should have, at the very least, put it in the bank. You know, 3% is not much, but at least I could have got a little bit of interest. The master's not pleased at all. See, this guy who was so insistent about hanging on to his talent and making sure that he did everything he could so that it wouldn't be lost... In the end, this twist of irony in the story, he's actually the one who loses it. He has it taken away from him. He misses the use it or lose it principle of the kingdom of God. And to make sure we understand how serious this is within the kingdom, remember, because it's not just a story about a man who gives money to people. This is about God giving his resources to his people. To make sure we understand just how serious this is, look at the language in verse 26 and then again in verse 30. To the servant who buried the resources in an attempt to protect them, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. And then verse 30, he commands, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that is the language that the New Testament frequently uses to describe the eternal punishment of hell. You've got enter into your master's joy, throw him outside into the outer darkness. See what Jesus is saying? This is a big deal here. The whole thing is about God's kingdom and about using God's resources, resources he has entrusted to us to grow the kingdom while we wait for Christ's return. Jesus says there is a spiritual use it or lose it principle when it comes to the resources he's given his people. And this is God's word to us. Our job when we read the parables uh, is very often to look at the parable and to say, am I one of the characters in this story? How do I fit in here? Is this speaking to me? And so we have to make up our own mind, don't we? We have to ask ourselves, which servant am I in this story? Which servant am I most like as an individual? But in particular, this afternoon, I want to ask, which of those servants are we going to be as Epping Presbyterian Church? When Jesus returns... What are we going to have to show for the resources that he's entrusted to us? 
What words are going to get spoken to us as a church? Will he say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's joy? Or will Jesus take resources from us and give them away to someone else, casting us out into the darkness? I've been in the sad situation um, in the past where I've had to write the report for our presbytery recommending that we close down a church, a congregation, where they had great resources but they'd just buried them in the ground, not done anything with them. And the church had dwindled and it had no impact and, and the church building itself is a gift shop now. You can go and visit it in Lura on the mall. It was once the Presbyterian church once a congregation which people were proud of. But they didn't use, they didn't invest the resources that God had given them for the sake of the kingdom. And it was taken away from them. Jesus doesn't mess around with this. The words he uses are sharp and challenging and it's because the stakes are so high. This is not like an ordinary investment. The stakes are so high here. There is nothing more valuable and nothing more important than the kingdom of God and his glory in Christ. That's why this is such a big deal. Now, I think most of you know, most of you have been around this church long enough to know that we are at a bit of a a crossroads in the life of this church Um, Over the next six to 18 months, we are going to have to be involved as a congregation in some of the most important decisions we will make for a generation. Um, Decisions not only about potential property development, uh, with the change to the zoning here and the plans to have uh, thousands more people move in and live in high-rise apartments here right in the centre of Epping where we are, not just decisions about potential property development, but also really, really big decisions about the shape of our ministry and the reshaping, potentially, of our ministry. Um, Right now, the elders in this church are asking the question, what kind of church do we need to be in order to reach the new community that God is bringing to this area? Um, Epping is changing, there's no question about that, and the pace of that change is about to build up quite significantly. What kind of church do we need to be? How do we need to take the resources that God has given us and use them to reach the new community that's coming here as well as the the continuing one? They're really big questions. And I I just want to say a personal thank you to those of you who've been engaged in that process, the little bits that we've done as a congregation through church camp, uh, through growth groups, kind of giving some feedback back to us that's really helpful we appreciate that we want to feed all of that in but I also want to say from a very personal note so you understand where I'm coming from that this parable shapes the way I think about all of these sorts of things to me this this parable is really crucial in thinking about how we might use the resources God has given us God's given us amazing resources he's given us great a great heritage, great property, uh, great opportunities, great people. People within this church with all kinds of talents and gifts. He's given us great financial resources. I don't know if you've noticed this. Open up your bulletin and have a look. 
In the nine and a half years I've been minister here, it is extremely rare that we give a mid-year financial update and it tells you that we're actually ahead of budget in terms of giving. That's great news. Well done, everybody. Thank you for that. That's good. It's a sign of how God has blessed us with amazing resources. So what are we going to do with them? Tell you what, I do not want to hear Jesus say, you wicked and lazy servants. Jesus is coming again. He is going to ask to see what we've done with the treasure he's given us. And the question is, what have we done with it? What will we do with it? Did we invest it? Did we put it to work for the kingdom of God? Did we take a risk for the fame of his name? Do we sit down and assess all of the things that we've got and work out how we can multiply that for the kingdom? Or did we say, we've got something really precious here. We need to protect it and guard it. We need to make sure that we preserve it. That's the crossroads before us. And I think the risk to us is very real. Um, Making decisions about property and buildings, I think, is going to be fairly easy compared to the decisions we will have to make about changing our ministries. Because there's a very real risk that we won't want to change. We'll be reluctant to stop doing the things that we've been doing for a long time and afraid of doing things differently. And here's how it works. We, We kind of go, oh, that kind of looks good, but let's examine what we're doing. And hey, what we're doing is actually kind of good, isn't it? That's why we do it. We don't do things that are are no good. We're doing things that are good, so we need to keep doing those things because they're good things, right? But if we think like that, what we're doing, we're running the risk of taking what Jesus has given us and wrapping it up in a cloth and burying it in the ground because we say, hey, this is good. We better not change what's good. But Jesus is saying to us, use it or lose it. Don't bury it in the ground or it will be taken away from you. That's the danger that we face. I want to give you another illustration to help think about that danger. I want you to think about our church as a reverse cycle air conditioning unit. That's right. We blow hot and cold. Uh, No, um, brand new air conditioning units are a fantastic thing. When these new ones came in down the front of the church a couple of years ago now, Um, Praise God, I thought they made a fantastic difference and right now I can tell you uh, it's a lot warmer up here than it used to be a couple of years ago. Uh, When you put in a brand new air conditioning unit, it's powerful. Um, The the impact of it, whether it's heating or cooling, is really very noticeable. There's nothing quite like it. The thing is though, um, air conditioning units, there's something really important about them that most of us don't give a second thought to. And that important thing is the filter, okay? Inside every air conditioner is a filter that needs to be cleaned on a regular basis. Now, the truth is you can keep running the air conditioner without ever cleaning the filter, and it will still blow hot air and cold air when you need it. You can run the air conditioner without cleaning the filter, and it may seem to you like everything is going along just fine, But every week that you keep running it without cleaning the filter and every month that you keep running it without cleaning the filter, it will get less and less effective. And the machine will have to work harder and harder to have a weaker and weaker effect. 
Churches are a bit the same. We can keep on running stuff the way that we've always been running stuff and things will seem okay. You know, people are still turning up. People are still hearing from the Bible. That's good. The finances are in good shape. Uh, seems like people are interested. There's, there's general interest out there. But maybe as we look at it, we go, it, yeah, it, it just doesn't seem to be quite as effective as maybe it should be. We're having to work harder and harder for maybe a weaker and weaker effect. And we can console ourselves and say, oh, well, that's spiritual warfare. That's Satan. He doesn't want us to succeed. He's making it tough for us. But actually, sometimes the real problem is that we haven't cleaned out the filter. We haven't taken the time to pull apart our ministries and see what needs to be changed and made better. So over the next six to 18 months, that's what we want to do. We want to clean out the filters. We want to think forward about the future of what life is going to be like here in Epping, what might be happening in our community, and we want to look at the resources that we've got and the ministries that we've got we want to say, maybe we should do this differently. Maybe we should stop doing that and do this instead. We want to clean out the filters, take the resources God's given us and think about how we can best use them for the kingdom of God so that we can see a great harvest of people coming to know and trust Jesus so that we can, within the congregation, be excited about being part of this community of the church, to see each other flourishing in our faith. I want to let you know that over the, um, in the next month in August, uh, the elders and some of the staff and other leaders in the church are going to spend some time with the leaders of two other Australian churches that have been in kind of in the situation that we're in now and have gone through that process of assessing everything and thinking about how they can better use the resources they've been given for God's kingdom, and they've made big changes, and they are thriving now as a result. We want to learn from them. We want to learn the lessons that they have learnt. We want to get smart about the resources God's given us. We want to do that because we want to hear our master say, well done, good and faithful servants. Jesus has given us clear instructions, hasn't he? While he's away, while we wait for him to return, he said we need to multiply what he has given us for the sake of the kingdom. He's told us to put those resources to work for the sake of seeing an increasing number of people put their trust in Jesus as their only hope, as their only treasure, as their only joy. Because in the long run, that is the thing that matters. In the long run, that's the only thing that's going to last. Have people put their trust in Jesus? Are they joined to the life of God through his son, through his death and his resurrection for them, through the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out into their lives? That's what really matters. And we want to be on about what really matters. We know there are things that we can do better. We need to do better. We want to do those things better. Better this year and better next year and better still in the years to come. 
There's no point in us just trying to preserve what we have when there are better things that we can do. In Luke chapter 15, you know the story of the the 99 sheep and the one that goes astray and the shepherd goes out and brings the sheep back. And at the end of the parable, Jesus says, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 Presbyterian churches where everything is done decently and in order. Or something like that. Will you come on this journey with us? That's what I want to ask you. Will you come on this journey with us? Will you join us as we examine what we're doing and think about how can we best use the resources God has given us to see the church flourish and grow? Some of those decisions are going to come further down the track, but I want to tell you something you can do right now. Will you engage in doing that now? Will you do this? Will you clean out the filters in your own life? I look at my own life and I know how easy it is for lots of different things, good things, to just accumulate and take up more and more of my energy and my attention and my passions. And so that living for God just seems to be a little less effective. And it's good to clean out the filters. It's good to go back and say, what is most important? How can I invest my time, the resources God has given me as a person, my life into what is most important for him? Will you commit yourself then to treasuring Christ above all things? Will you commit yourself to deliberately turning your heart toward him daily, connecting with him daily in his word, in prayer, in your passions, in your thoughts? Will you pray for him to enlarge your passion to love the things that he loves? I mean, we can, as elders, make decisions about all the ministry that we like and we can have the greatest property plans on the planet But none of it will count for anything at all if we as a congregation, if our hearts are not beating in time with God's heartbeat. So can I encourage you to make that your prayer, make that your action point arising out of today, that you would clean out the filters of your own life, that you would would take some time and set aside time to think, "How how can I use what God has given me right now? For the sake of his kingdom, how can I focus on what's most important? Let me tell you, one of the simplest things, one of the most effective things you can do is daily, regularly pray, Lord God, help me to love what you love and to see how much you love what you love. And Lord God, help me to also hate what you hate and see how much you hate what you hate. Turn my passions into your passions. So that your heart and his heart, together with all of our hearts as a congregation, will beat together in the same rhythm, with the same passion, for the same purpose. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for blessing us with wonderful resources, people, property, finances, ideas, opportunities. 
Help us not to be like that wicked and lazy servant who buried what was given to him in the ground to preserve it. Help us, Father, to be adventurous for the sake of your kingdom. So, Father, we pray that not only will we make good decisions about the future of ministries and property here over the next six to 18 months, but we pray that we would make good decisions every day when we get out of bed and at every moment where we're making a decision to remember what is most important so that we might love what you love and be people whose lives are in tune with your heartbeat and that together as a congregation our hearts would beat as one for the fame of the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen.